Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Why do ye not understand my speech? This is Jesus asking that question. Even because you cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. The devil has always and will always attack God's word. That is just the fact of the matter. That is a biblical truth straight out of John 8. (laughs) He's a liar, he's the father of it, and he is not going to believe the word of God. He is always going to attack it. Luke chapter number four. I'm concerned about the modern versions because they are an attack on the word of God. Luke chapter number four, look at verse number four. We'll read the uh, entire verse. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone. Verse 5. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kings of the world in a moment of time. Now, at first glance, you might, if you're not paying attention, you might have just glossed over the way that I attack the word of God. (laughs) I attack the word of God by omitting the most important part of the verse. Matter of fact, if you have in your lap an NIV or an NASB or an ESV, that is how that verse is rendered. The most important part of the verse, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. The most important part of the verse to tie it all together. I mean, do you believe in the word of God? Do you believe that we should live by it? Now tell me that isn't, a, that isn't a thing right there. These modern versions removing every word of God. I don't believe it. Good. Re- find, re- research it yourself. Go on the internet and uh, look up the NIV, the ESV. The question is, what are you memorizing? Why are you memorizing scripture? Is it just for an intellectual exercise? Or is because we want to be indwelt with the truth of the word of God. Memorizing scripture and all of that that the kids do in Sunday school and all of it that we do. It has to be more than just an intellectual gymnastic routine. It has to be the living word of God that we are trying to have our minds and our hearts filled with. What are you reading? 
are you deceived when you read or are you deceiving when you read i think some people just have been deceived and they bought into this idea of well we need modern scholarship others may just be deceivers and as they read they deceive i don't know which side of the line people fall on all i know is satan's go-to has always been the same attack the word of god why would you leave that out in luke 4. i'm telling you too many preachers they trust their university that they graduated from they trust their college uh bible professor and who i'm sure was a great godly man <laughs> that helped out in a lot of life issues but you can't hold a man that you respect higher than the word of God. You can't do that with me. I can't do that with you. You can't do that with your seminary professor. And we can't do that with denomination heads or leaders or whatever you want to call it. We cannot put anyone or any group above the word of God. We live by every word of God. We don't live by every word of our favorite preacher or our favorite author or our favorite Christian blogger or the YouTube creator. We live by every word of God. And that is sufficient for all right, godly living. Psalms 138. Too many preachers idolize their ministry more than, well, shouldn't idolize anything. But someone's ministry isn't more important than the word of God. Psalm 138. Psalm 138, verse 2. I will bow down toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name now if you haven't caught it already i read that verse incorrectly you know why it's incorrect because you can bow down to something and not worship it go to an asian country they bow not to worship anything you extend your hand to handshake you don't do that when you visit South Korea. I was there. We were told these are the customs of the people. You you bow. And that's a way of greeting and saying hello. Now, some people bow down as a form of worship. So it certainly could be that. But the Bible clearly says in verse number 38, I will worship toward thy holy temple when you have a modern version then iv esv it's just bow down you can bow down and not worship it is not the same it is not a correct rendering of the text it should be i will do what worship why for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name now, you don't have to turn there, but 2 Corinthians 2 says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. 
And the purpose of this evening's message is for us to not be ignorant of Satan's devices. So we know he will attack the word of God. Uh, we showed two simple but easy to understand attacks on the word of God. And now we're going to look at the two fold attack that he uses and always will use. The first one is, we know this, he will get you to question the word of God. We see that in Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. He said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, questioning the word of God. Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So we all know that if we've studied our Bible, even for a little bit, this, the, the serpent, Satan, questions the word of God. Get Matthew chapter 13 and John chapter 10. We'll look at the second one. Matthew 13. And John chapter number 10. We'll do, we'll, we'll be in Matthew 13 first as we look at the second uh, attack, a method of attack that Satan uses, which is to steal the word of God. He will question the word of God, get you to question the word of God, then he will steal the word of God. Matthew 13, verse number 19. Uh, well, verse 18, hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. That is he which receives seed by the wayside. You hear the word of God and it starts to take root past your ears and your mind and it starts to take root in your heart. You know what Satan's going to want to do? Steal it. He's a thief. He's a liar and he's a thief. And he's going to attack the word of God two ways. He's going to get you to question it. And if it starts to take root in your heart, he's going to try to steal it from you as fast as he can. We need to know the enemy's plan of attack. And that's what we're looking at. Go to John 10. John chapter number 10. The first verse says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. We need to be careful of ministers, ministries that promote themselves or their ministry higher than Jesus Christ. Uh, you can only enter in one way. That's the door, Jesus Christ. And any other way, you're a thief or you're a robber. And we need to be careful. And Jesus is warning. But he that entereth in by the door, verse 2, is the shepherd of the sheep. Thieves, uh, in verse number 1, we have two words here thief and robber uh, exodus 22 it says if a sheep be found jeremiah 2 says as the sheep is ashamed when he is found uh, a, a thief it tends to be in the bible more of a secret deceiver you have to find it out 
seems to be a lot of the verses in the context of a thief. A robber, by contrast, many of the verses seem to indicate not so much a secret deceiver, uh, but more of an open thing, a robber. It's more taken by violence. Um, it's out in the open. Jeremiah 7, den of robbers in your eyes, it, it's referring to. Second uh, Corinthians 11 says, in perils of robbers. And both, obviously, the Lord's warning us about. And we need to be mindful of thieves and robbers. In other words, I guess the main point I'm trying to make is those secret deceptions and those ones that are just out and open. We need to be mindful of both. But the word of God will be attacked by Satan. He will try to steal it. Verse number eight. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. These are blind guides. These are people pretending to be ministers of the word. But they're not. We can identify it easily. By. Looking out into the world. We know the world's establishment is out in the open against God. Robbers, they're just out in the open. You couldn't miss it. Thieves, more secret deceptional, staying on that theme. you got the whole word of faith movement. You know how many people they have deceived in the name of Christ? All those televangelists, Copeland, Hinn, White, Creflo, all the all those guys. They've deceived millions of people out of their pocketbook, out of their wallet. I'm telling you, we need to be careful of the stuff that's out in the open that we can clearly see. But we need to be careful of the stuff that is painted as Christianity, and it's not Christian. It's not. Those folks are not Christian folks. They're deceivers. This isn't talking about sects of Christianity where one might have a different doctrine on end times, one might have a different doctrine on election, one might have a different doctrine on uh, holy living. We're not talking about that. All those folks are saved. They all preach the gospel. They all, all that. What we're talking about is you have people that are putting themselves off as Christians that don't believe the gospel. It's deception. So there's there's open deception and then there's secret deception. We need to be careful of both. Jeremiah 23 says, Woe unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. I think it's only found once or twice in the New Testament. The word pastors. Every other time, I think it's like seven or eight times, it's all found in the Old Testament in the book of Jeremiah. And it's all in a negative connotation. And Jeremiah is warning the people, these are wicked deceivers. I'm not saying I'm not saying no one's 
saved or lost their salvation, or I'm not saying they don't know how to preach or have, don't have the gift to preach. I'm not saying any of that. But when you replace the Word of God, the authorized version of the King James Bible in English, with an NIV or an ESV, I am not saying you're of the devil. All I'm saying is you've been deceived by the devil. So that's too harsh. That's too rough. No, it's not. Because if I don't say it or somebody like me doesn't say it, they will just go on using it as if, well, it's not really that big of a deal. I mean, who really needs to live off of every word of God? Well, that'd be all of us if we're Christians. I'm not saying they're deceivers. I'm saying they have been deceived by a secret thief. That's how it works. That's how it works. I don't believe there's one error in this book. And that absolutely aggravates and bothers the scholarship only as a movement more than anything. I don't believe there's one error in this book. Now, I'm going to ask you something real simple. Who killed Goliath? Let's go to 2 Samuel 21. Who killed uh, children in the first row? You call out the answer. Who killed Goliath? David. All right, very good. You were paying attention in the Sunday school. Well, if you have a modern version, David didn't kill Goliath. Go to second. Yeah, okay. Go to Second Samuel, chapter number twenty-one. Second Samuel twenty-one. This stuff isn't hard to find out. It's just. It's just how deception works. Second Samuel chapter number 21. Look at verse number 19. And there was again a battle at Gob with the Philistines where Elhanan, the son of Jerry Origem, a Bethlehemite, slew Goliath the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And if you're looking at the text, you're saying to yourself, Brother Jimmy, you skipped over three words well if I was reading an ASV an ESV or an NASV I didn't because that's what it says in that Bible and the new RSV is, as well they all leave out the brother of so you know what you got when you read an ASV an ESV an RSV or a new RSV you do not have David slaying Goliath. Now, if you don't think that's a problem, I have news for you. That's a problem. They leave the brother of Al. And can you see why lost people would say, you know, you Christians have so many contradictions in your Bible. You get so many Bibles that because you got yourself a contradiction when you take the brother of out. So you know what they'll argue? Well, they're italicized words, so they shouldn't be there. We'll do the italicized words next Thursday night. But the main argument that they'll use is, well, it was a different Goliath. Oh, okay, it's a different Goliath. Okay, so how do we find out if it was a different Goliath? How do we know if what we have is true? Do we go with what I say because you are biased to me? Or do we go with 
what someone else, another preacher might say, because we're more biased to him. Where do we go to to find out the answer? That'd be the word of God. <laughs> so let's go to uh, First Chronicles. You go past Second Kings, and then you'll come to the book of First and Second Crocodiles or Chronicles. First, well, we'll be in First Chronicles, chapter number twenty. I'm not changing the word of God; just inserting a little humor. First Chronicles, chapter number twenty. Verse number five. First Chronicles 20, verse number five. Let's see what the cross reference says, because we've compared scripture with scripture. And there was a war again with the Philistines. And Elhanan, the son of Jer, slew Lami, the brother of Goliath. You know who Elhanan slew? The brother of Goliath. You know who David slew? Goliath. <laughs> When you run the cross-reference, the Bible in First Chronicles gives you the answer. And you know what the oddest thing about the whole thing is? The NIV, the ESV, the ASV, the new RSV. They all have the brother of in First Chronicles 20. In their own version... The mistake is right in front of their face if they just run the cross-reference. They're translators. They should know that. If they took a test and I took a test, they'd do better than me on a test. I can guarantee you those translators are smarter academically than I am. Why am I saying that? I'm not trying to play a false humility card. I'm trying to say that you don't have to be that bright to figure that one out. You don't. You don't. David slew Goliath. The King James Version has it right. The modern versions have it wrong. It's wrong. You know what the problem is? Let's draw the lens back and go, uh, go forward to the book of Isaiah. Here's the true problem. Isaiah chapter number five. Verse twenty one. Isaiah chapter five, verse twenty one. God hits with all these woes. Verse 18, woe unto them that draw iniquity. Verse 20, woe unto them that call evil good. Verse 21, here's what we want. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own, in their own sight. That's the problem. People are wise in their own eyes, but not in God's. That's the hard issue of this modern scholarship only is a movement. Go to Isaiah chapter 7 since we're right there. Look at verse number 14. Aren't you just being too hard on them? I don't think I am. I've heard people be a lot harder. I'm trying to be nice. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nice person. Isaiah chapter 7. But you tell me if, if okay, let me just read the verse. Therefore, the Lord himself, Isaiah seven fourteen, shall give you a sign. 
Behold, a young woman shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now that's Isaiah 7, 14. Now let me ask you a question. A young woman giving birth, how in the world is that a sign? What, what in the world? How would that be a sign to anybody? And you know, if you've been looking at your text, you know that's not right. I attacked the virgin birth by taking out the word virgin. Now that's a sign. <laughs> and many teenage girls have tried to play that card and it don't work. <laughs> but you know what? There's one time when that card could have been played when Mary was supernaturally blessed by God and it was a virgin birth. Now, how dare you attack the deity of Jesus Christ as being virgin born? That's a God thing. And that's a sign. It's not a sign if a young woman gets, there's a child. That happens all the time. There's no sign to that. I don't want a modern version. That one verse right there should cause you to, to just throw it in the trash. Throw it in the trash. That's where that's where that's where it belongs. Isaiah chapter number eight, verse number nineteen. I'm not saying I'm not saying preachers that use the modern version are trash. So don't put in your head something I didn't say. They're good men that preach the gospel. They're trying the best they can for Christ. Praise the Lord, and if they're out there witnessing, I'm for them. But that doesn't mean that these alarms don't need to be sounded. They do. And if somebody hears it and it helps them, that's what we want. We don't want to hurt people. We want to help people. And you can help God's people more with the right book. That's what we want. Isaiah chapter 8, look at verse number 19. When they shall say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits and unto wizards that peep. And that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God? For the living to the dead, to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. That's a strong verse. Christians approach the Bible like an atheist, a wizard who would peep and mutter that has no concern for God or the things of God. How an atheist would approach the gospel. No, that's not true. I don't, I don't believe that. When you tell somebody God's promise to preserve his word is true, you can believe it. We've got it in English right here. They approach it like an atheist approaches Christianity. It's off. It's wrong thinking. Isaiah 29. Verse number 14, Isaiah 29, verse number 14. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Well, you have to learn Greek and Hebrew to really get the full meaning of the text. 
well, I don't live in Greece. And the Greek that they speak in Greece isn't the archaic Greek that you're telling me I have to learn. But whatever you do, don't learn archaic English. And I don't speak Hebrew and neither do you. So if I went up in a debate with a theologian or someone that knows Greek and Hebrew, I'd probably lose. <laughs> the wisdom of those men would be higher than the wisdom that I have. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? God said he's going to destroy the wisdom of this world. You don't have to know Greek and Hebrew and two or three other languages to be able to have the word of God and just read it and believe it. You don't need to have that. And somebody wants to tell you, well, in the Hebrew, all you have to say to them is, okay, if it's in the Hebrew, then please, for the entirety of the conversation, just speak to me in Hebrew because I really want the word of God. And they ain't going to speak to you in Hebrew. Because they only know one or two words to make you look foolish. And guy tells, well, in the Greek, you don't speak Greek. And if you do, you don't speak archaic Greek. You've studied some words and you ran some references and, and, and in accord, accordance. And yeah, it makes you seem like you know what you're talking about. You don't have to Greek tweak one word and you can get from this book everything God wants you to have from this book. It's going to destroy the wisdom of the wise. It's going to bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. We don't have to out-scholar anybody. All we have to do is read what we have and believe it. Isaiah 26. Look at verse number. That will keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is steadfast. Because he trusteth in thee. You got a promise that anyone wanting peace of mind. That their mind would have to be stayed on God. Isaiah 26, 3, the, the two words stayed on is removed. You know why it's removed? Because all you got to do is have a steadfast mind. Because if you're born again, automatically your mind is stayed on Christ. Really? Anybody ever read Romans 6? What? I mean, anybody read Romans 7? I mean, we went through Romans 1, 2, and 3, and... Now we're on chapter four. We're going to get into six and seven and right living. I mean, how a Christian should live. Anybody read those chapters? I'm telling you, it's a direct attack on what your mind needs to be stayed on. The verse should be read. Now we'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And you won't have peace until your mind is stayed on him. You have a steadfast mind. You don't have to be stayed on anything. This is why they also change, especially in Romans 6, of the new legacy Bible, which MacArthur's putting out. They'll sell mil millions of copies. Um, it's basically an update of New American Standard. And the, the word 
uh, doulos in the New Testament will consistently be translated as slave. And in Romans 6, you see servant of sin, servant of Christ. And that's one of the big things that they're drawing out on this new version, perversion of the Bible. Is that it will be slave. You don't have to have your mind stayed on. You're just a slave. It's just going to be an automatic thing. We're not slaves to Christ. Romans 6 and Romans 7 talks about how you're going to live. You're either going to serve righteousness, you're going to serve Christ, or you're not. He doesn't hold you as a slave. You will either voluntarily serve him and voluntarily be led by the Holy Spirit, or you won't. Turn to Romans 7, because this is important. We'll do more into that once we get to Romans 6, the whole slave thing. But I'm not a slave to Christ. I'm a servant. And I'm glad to serve him. Romans 7, uh, verse 22. This is why you have to have your mind stayed on. Isaiah 26, you need stayed on. Romans 7. Watch what it says. We see it in the New Testament as well. The whole principle. For I delight in the law, verse 22, Romans 7, 22. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members. Warring against the law of my mind. You got a war going on and you've got to have your mind stayed on Christ. You have to. It's so clear in Romans 7. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Very simply and plainly and briefly tonight. Your flesh didn't get saved when you got saved. (laughs) So you got a war going on. It's the same battle I'm struggling with. That's that's you need to have your mind stayed on Christ. Isaiah 26 and the King James has it right. So another one for the old black book. 66 caliber never misfires. Uh, One of the ways God teaches is through fear. That's why it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. My dad was here over the past week. We had a good time telling the kids, you know, our kids some stories. And my dad was even killed, even killed. You know, it was just, you know, tick, 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 tick. He never, he never dialed hotter until the last tick. And he went from zero to about 120. (laughs) And we had a healthy fear of that. And if he parented the way he did now, parents that parent like my how my dad did, putting some healthy fear in kids, uh, he, he, he'd be in jail. He'd be in jail. I'm not saying that in a mean way. I'm just saying this world is so woke. This world is so crazy that they think that some chastisement from dad is a bad thing. No, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. We had some fear of dad, and that's healthy. 
know what the problem is? People have no fear of the Lord. They just thumb their nose at him like he's nothing. It's so irreverent. We're not running, you know, through the streets screaming. That's not that fear. It's a healthy, reverent fear that we wouldn't want to disappoint the God who we say we love. Isaiah 66. We should have stayed there. Go back. We're in Isaiah. All right. Isaiah 66, verse number two. Here's the root problem. For all these things hath mine hand made, and all these things have been, saith the Lord. Did your dad build the house that you live in? Does your dad exchange units of time to earn income to buy your clothes and pay for the house and make the land? I hope you would have respect and reverence for your father for doing that. But that's nothing compared to the things that God made. And people don't have any respect and reverence for God anymore. And in hence, it's turned over to his word. But to this man, will I look even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit? That's what God's looking for, a, con a poor and contrite spirit. And, and, and here's the, what I want to get to. And trembleth at my word. A healthy, reverent fear of the word of God. The word of God is being read. It's family devotion time. The word of God is being opened up. Yes, we can have fun with it, but let's not abuse and be irre irreverent. Sunday school. The word of God is being taught. And the children are learning from the word of God. Yes, let's have fun. Let's let's enjoy it. But it's the word of God. There has to be a healthy trembling. And God's people be in awe of the word of God. In northern Italy, in the fifteen, in, in the early, the mid fifteen hundreds, in a town called Trento, Italy, uh, the Counter Reformation, I guess you could call it, is where the Roman Catholics met for the Council of Trent. It was held basically in three different, three different sections. It was 25 sessions that ran from 1545 to 1536. It was 25 sessions in total. Pope Paul III, from 1545 to 1547, he oversaw it. It was a two-year period. They met again from 1551 to 1552. Pope Julius III oversaw that. And then from 1562 to 1563, Pope Pius IV oversaw that. Now, he was so pious that during that time uh, of these last closing out sessions that were 25 in total, it was unanimously decreed that traditions should be received, quote, the Council of Trent, 
of equal authority with the scriptures. They also agreed to make all the books, including the Apocrypha, as well as other books, of equal authority. Book of Maccabees, you're just going down the line. They got a bunch of them. Now, it's not hard to understand what they're communicating. You don't have a sole authority. You have tradition and you have other books that you can bring in and they are of equal authority. The reasoning of their adding traditions to the scripture is given by Pope Pius in these words, quote, this is back in 1500s. All saving truth is not contained in the Holy Scriptures. That's what those wicked devils said. And if you disagreed with them, it would cost you your life. A lot of these men that correct the Bible, you know where they get their manuscripts from? The Roman Catholic Church. That's where they get them from. You know what the Roman Catholic Church believes? We just read it. All saving truth is not contained in the Holy Scriptures. Now, isn't that an ironic thing? But partly in the scripture and partly in unwritten traditions, which whosoever doth not receive with like piety and reverence as he doth the scripture is accursed. You don't take this book as final authority. The Roman Catholic Church says you are accursed. You know, all God teaches, go to Isaiah 28. I hope we're okay. We've got some more verse. Everybody okay? Okay, Isaiah 28. This is uh, a little bit longer Bible study, but we can we can push through it. Isaiah chapter 28, look at verse number 9. Okay. Uh, Isaiah 28, 9, everybody there. Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. That would be a child okay for precept upon must be upon precept precept upon precept line upon line line upon line here a little and there a little you know what that is repetitive you know how god teaches through repetition that a child could understand we got to hear it over and over and over and a, and a good uh, scripturally modeled Sunday school program will do that with the children. They're going to go over the verse again. They're going to go over the story again. They're going to ask questions. Why? Because it's a form of repeating the lesson. That's a good thing. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. Verse 12, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear short lessons with repetition is how children learn and it's how the mind is refreshed that's isaiah 28 look at verse 13 but the word of the lord was unto them and he repeats it again precept upon precept precept upon precept line upon line line upon line here a little and there a little that they might go and fall backward be broken and snared and taken 
you take the simple. And the simple will help you understand the complex. He's teaching by repetition in the first verse because he repeats it twice. And then a couple of verses later, he says the same thing and we get more repetition. That's how children are taught. You got to go over it with them over and over and over again. Galatians chapter number one. Say, so what in the world's that about? Where are you going with this? I don't know until we get to Galatians one. <laughs> At the in Trento, Italy, in fifteen in the mid fifteen hundreds, you were accursed if you didn't believe that Scripture was the sole authority, or if, if if you believe if you believed Scripture was the sole authority, they said that you were accursed. You had to accept tradition and other and other books. In other words, the Word of God means nothing to them. Galatians chapter number one. Look at verse number eight. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And you know what happens in the next verse? As we said before, so I say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. God says it twice because he has to talk to us like we're children. We've got to get it again and again and again. And that's a healthy way to learn by repetition. So when someone says that you're accursed, when you accept the Bible as the sole authority, and if you reject man's traditions, and if you reject these other books, religion tells you you're accursed. But God's word tells you, you mess with this book, and you give a different gospel that's not in this book, you're accursed. You're accursed. Modern day scholarship, they say they're on the same level as authority of Scripture. I mean, if they didn't, they wouldn't correct it. You've got doctorates, you've got degrees, you got all this stuff you get from seminaries. It's not on the same level as the Bible. It's not. We'll pick up. We will pick up. No, let's finish this. Let's finish this. Let's go to Matthew 12. We can do it. Matthew 12. We'll, we'll, we'll close out. Matthew 12, verse number 28. The Bible says, But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil its goods? Except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Well, the strong man is Satan. Your strength can't resist it. You need somebody stronger than the strong man. You need somebody stronger than Satan. Go to Matthew 26. You know, uh, they're going to bind what we, we read in, in Matthew 12. You don't have to turn there. I just want to get my thought. Uh, uh, 
You're going to spoil the goods. You're going to bind the strong man. You're going to spoil the house. Uh, you're going to be, you're going to pillage and be a thief on that house. In, in, in Matthew 26, verse number 25, watch how they arrest Christ. Matthew 26, 55 it is. 26, 55. In that same hour said Jesus, the multitudes, are you come out against the thief? Are you come out as against the thief? With swords and staves for to take me? You're coming at me like I'm a thief? Look at Matthew 27, verse 38. They crucify him right in the middle of what? Matthew 27, 38. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. <laughs> they come to try to arrest him. Satan's always stolen the word of God. Always, always, always. They come to arrest the Lord as a thief. And then when they crucify him, they put him in the middle of two thieves. The last verse, Philippians 2. But they don't do all that until this happened. Galatians, Ephesians. Okay, Philippians chapter number 2. Let the verse number five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not a robbery to be equal with God. Oh, he was a robbery. All right. <laughs> he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was not a thief and he was not robbing God of anything. He was equal with God. You know why we're closing on that? Because the modern versions attack that verse as well. They want to arrest him as a thief and hang him in between two thieves. But he thought it not robbery because he wasn't a thief. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And I want a Bible that's got second, uh, Philippians, the second chapter, verse number six. Right. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.